It all happens right here with the way we think. And sometimes God invites us into this relationship with him where he will begin to challenge the way we've always thought. And it will prompt us and compel us to reverse our thinking. Somebody say flip the script. That's what God is inviting us to do in 2017. That if you and I are going to experience a life that is radically different and radically better, God's word will force us to change the way we think. And I'll share this progression with you again because I believe this is the genesis of how we think, the conditions that have framed our thoughts. And it bears repeating, all right? This is what we've said. That my environment determines my exposure, all right? My environment determines what I'm exposed to. My exposure or what I'm exposed to determines my experiences, what I saw, what I heard, what I felt. And my experiences in life ultimately determine my expectations of life. I'll say that again. My environment determines what I'm exposed to. What I'm exposed to determines my experiences, and my experiences will determine my expectations and my realities. Because you and I cannot live, learn, or lead beyond what we've been exposed to. Because what you've been exposed to determines what you know to exist. But how many of you realize that what I know and what you know is not all that there is? That there is so much more beyond what you and I have experienced, beyond what you and I have been exposed to, and beyond our tiny little environments of safety. You've heard it said before, parents say, there's a whole big world beyond, where'd you grow up, Pastor Jesse? In Alabama. There's a whole big world outside of Huntsville, Alabama. Because if all you know is Huntsville, Alabama, you will think, you and I will imagine that there is, that is all that there is. Somebody say Whoville. When you got kids, you watch these movies over and over and God begins to teach you spiritual principles from movies like Horton Hears a Who. Because in Whoville, they thought that's all there was. And when the mayor's son started to tell him, man, I hear something outside, something's talking from out here. Even when Horton said to all his friends, I hear a voice coming off of this little thing that's flying. All his friends thought he was crazy. On Whoville, that's all they knew. And that's all they thought there was. But there's a whole big world beyond your Whoville. No matter how Safe it might be. No matter how comfortable and convenient it might be, God is inviting us to think a little bit higher and think a little bit differently than we always have thought because there is more outside of our environments, exposures, experiences, and expectations which have become the lid on our lives. So in order to experience all that God has for us, we have to access God's way of thinking in God's way of doing, his word. So here we go. 
Uh, today we're going to, and the reason people are like, why do we have a picture of the city? Uh, I don't know what city this is. Is this Dallas? I don't know what city this is. Monrovia, Liberia. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Very good. Very good. My buddy Spencer from Liberia says it's Monrovia. Uh, not quite, but uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, but the reason I keep that on the screen is because uh, I have this compelling vision, man, that God is going to give us the city. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 11 and verse 11 in the Amplified Bible says that by the blessing of the influence of the upright, the city is exalted. You know what exalts the city? It's the upright and the influence of the upright. So I keep that in front of me every Sunday when I come, that God will give us the city. He will give us the city for his glory. In fact, that's the testimonies the disciples had. The testimony the disciples had was these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now imagine this. Jesus used 120 disciples in the upper room to change the world. And 2,000 years later, we are benefiting from what 120 disciples did. 2,000 years later. We've got a whole lot more than 120 who call City Church home. We can take the city, and we can change the city for the glory of God. But it begins with radically different and radically better thinking. Are y'all with me? All right, so, so here we go. Here we go. Somebody's with me right there sitting somewhere. I hear somebody amening me. Is that you? It's Grace. Thank you so much. Sometimes the preacher just needs a little bit of help. In fact, y'all say this right now. Preach, black man. Come on, somebody. I believe I will. I believe I will. You're wondering, can we say that? All right, I already told y'all. I got 99 problems, but preaching ain't one, y'all. Oh, snap. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. I told y'all. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray Z. Conray West. <laughs> LL Cool Ray. <laughs> one more, y'all want one more? Ray Diddy. <laughs> ah! Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Glory to God. Yeah, yeah, y'all get my wife. Y'all get my wife to help me stay holy in Jesus' name. If you are a guest with us this morning, just in case you are wondering, we will look to the word of God, amen? This is not, this is not Freestyle Friday on BET. Coming off the dome. It's written. Y'all used to watch, y'all used to watch, yeah, Freestyle Friday, 106 in part, AJ and Free back in the day. And then we have the freestyle battles. And you can tell when it was, you know, say, yeah, if I'm battling Tony and I'm spitting, then Tony be like, written, written, you know, written. I come straight off the dome, y'all. No, no, I don't, I don't. It's written. What I share is written. And Jesus said, <laughs> good transition, good transition. It 
is written. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So our anchor text this morning, our anchor text this morning is lifted from Luke chapter 5. We're talking about reasonings, right? Routines, reasonings, and relationships. Last week we talked about routines. Today we're going to talk about reasonings the way we think. Uh, Luke chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse number 1. And, uh, but before we do that, I just want to frame uh, the few thoughts I'll be sharing with you. Uh, when, we, when we say reasoning, when we say reasoning, this is what we mean. Reasoning is the process, reasoning is the process of forming conclusions, judgments, or inferences from facts or premises. I'll say that again. The process of forming conclusions. We arrive at these conclusions. We arrive at judgments. We arrive at these inferences, but these conclusions, judgments, and inferences are based on facts or premises. Now, can I tell you the danger of always basing our lives on facts and premises? Come on, I'm going to mess with y'all now. The danger of basing your life and your reasoning only on facts as they exist now is the fact that facts are subject to change. Yes, sir. What you and I know to be a fact today may no longer be a fact a decade from now. All right, let me make it plain for you. When I grew up and I had my first science class, they told me there were how many planets? No, 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 no. How many planets? How many planets are there today? Eight. Because the ninth planet that was a scientifically held fact, scientifically held fact that was believed and taught by scientists the world over is no longer true. Facts, as we know them, are subject to change. Okay. Had it not been for Christopher Columbus, we all would have thought the world was? Who was teaching that? It was the most brilliant, the sharpest minds of that time. And that was considered a scientifically held fact that the world is flat. Was it true? Hmm. It begs the question then, how much of what we call fact is really true? Because facts are subject to change, but truth is immutable, unchanging, indisputable. And what we find in God's word is not facts. We find truth. In fact, that truth is found in the person of Jesus who said in John 14 and 6, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So even though God has given us the ability to reason because it's one of the faculties that God has given us, we are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. Your body is just your earth suit. This body is only useful while you are on the earth. Your spirit, man, is that part of you that communicates with God. And just in case you're wondering where you get this spirit, soul, and body, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, it says that God is able to preserve you blameless spirit, soul, and body. 
until the day of Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He also will do it. You are a three-part being. Let me, let me just take it a little bit further. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spirit being mastering your human experience. I'll say that again. You are a spirit being mastering your human experience. Spirit first. With a soul and you live in a body. What is your soul? It is the seat. Your soul is the seat of your emotions. That's my feelings. Laughter, joy, sadness, grief. All of that originates in the soul. It is also the seat of my willpower, my ability to say yes or no. So if I have a feeling and I feel like bon qui qui and I say, I'm going to cut you. <laughs> my willpower, which resides in my soul, will tell me yay or nay. Do it, don't do it. All of that's in my soul. But that's also going to be based on the third component of my soul, which is my reasoning. My ability to process what's happening to me and make finer distinctions and finer judgments. Reasoning comes from God. So God doesn't want us to eliminate our ability to reason and have or come up to finer distinctions and finer conclusions. But what he is saying is that our reasoning is finite. It is limited. Therefore, we must appeal to something that is higher than just our ability to dot every I and cross every T. And I always pick on scientists, Shavonda, because I think you got a good laugh out of this when I said it the last time. Because I always talk trash to scientists and I say, if you think you're so big and bad and God is dead, help me figure out why a bumblebee flies. I think God just did that to irritate all those who think they're so bad. <laughs> and so I'm going to let you spend the next 20 centuries figuring out how the bumblebee flies. You can't even figure out a bumblebee flies and you have the audacity to say there is no God? Figure it out, though. Help me figure out how the bumblebee flies and maybe I'll listen to what you got to say. So for those of us who rely only on empirical evidence, uh, you might miss the best part of what God wants to do in your life. Because the scripture says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the basis of faith is never reasoning or my ability to explain God. Okay? So Romans 12 and 2, and I'm going somewhere with this. Romans 12 and 2, in the New Living Translation, this is what scripture says. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing what? The way you think. Then, when I allow God to change the way I think, how I process what's happening to me or what has happened to me, then I will know God's will. And God's will is always good. It's always pleasing. It's always perfect. How do I even get to the point where I know God's will? It begins with a willingness to change the way I think. If I hold on to the way I think, I will never get to the place where I experience the will of God for my life, which is good and pleasing and perfect, radically different and radically better than what I've had up until now. And I like that I've got these young people sitting right here in the front row. That blesses me. That blesses me. It really does. Y'all sitting in the front of the class. That makes me feel good. That's special, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, uh, listen to what he says in the Amplified. Same verse, but in the Amplified. I'm going somewhere. Uh, in the Amplified, Romans 12, 2. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. But be transformed and progressively changed. Remember, success doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. Being transformed progressively as you mature spiritually by renewing your mind. How does that happen? It happens by changing my mind. Focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves. Not mama's faith, not grandpa's faith, but your faith. What is the will of God? That which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Let me give you one last one that affirms what God is instructing us to do, and that is to change our way of thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Do we have that? All right. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans. We don't process life simply as humans having a spiritual experience because we are spiritual beings mastering our human experience. It says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons or worldly reasonings or worldly ways of processing and thinking to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Simply put, what that verse is saying is the war that rages in our lives that keeps us from experiencing God's best is a war that rages right here between our two ears in this thing called gray matter. And the way we win at life is to bring every thought, every reasoning that is contrary to God's word, God's truth, under subjection to God's truth. Because the facts we know to be true today are subject to change. And that's where the, the supernatural comes in. So if we're going to change, God's going to challenge us to change the way we process life in four critical areas that I've just lifted from this story. Four critical areas that we, we're about to lift from this story that I'm about to read in Luke chapter number five. Are y'all with me? Are y'all with me? Okay, so for the second week in a row, I left my house without my Bible. So y'all forgive Pastor Ray. Jesse, let me, let me borrow your Quran one more time. <laughs> For those of you who were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. I, I couldn't understand what Pastor Jesse's Bible was saying, and then I realized it was, no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. It's, it, it's not a Quran, uh, Malak. It, it, is, it, is, it is actually a Bible. And, uh, but I forgot my Bible, so I'm going to read from Pastor Jesse's Bible, even though I could read from the screen. But uh, let me... Uh, let me read from uh, Luke 5, beginning at verse 11. Uh, what did I say I was going to read? Luke 5, verse 11. Beginning at verse 1. Beginning at verse 1. Uh, Pastor Jesse. <laughs> no, I'm not joking, man. I can't find. I promise you I really cannot find. Hey, Amen. <laughs> Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read from the screen, man. I don't know what you're working with, man. <laughs> so it was, 
as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake Gennesaret, and that is also another name for the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is not actually a sea. It's a really small body of water, only about 8 miles by 13 miles in dimension. Uh, but it was also called the Lake of Gennesaret or Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. So as Jesus is doing all these miracles, people are pressing against him, man. Everybody is hungry for the truth of God's word because up until now, they had only been fed religion. Jesus shows up and he's not talking religion, he's speaking life into them and he's talking about a God who loves them and he wants to be Abba, he wants to be daddy to them. They had never heard that before and they were blown away, so they're pressing against him. And so Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake. And this is what I like about that story because I remember growing up in Buchanan, Liberia was a coastal city, and the fishermen would come, man. That's what I love about Liberia. It's almost like living in Baltimore or somewhere on the East Coast, man. All the fresh fish is fresh, never frozen. Tastes different. Tastes so much better, man. Everything in Liberia is organic, man. In fact, when you eat an egg from Liberia, it'll freak you out because the yolk is orange. In fact, when you get a, a truly organic egg, look at Tony. What's that face, man? He's like, ew. And that's the thing, though. Organic eggs, even here in America, will be brownish-orange looking. The stuff we eat that's yellow, bad for you. Y'all didn't know that, did you? I ain't making this up. <laughs> the orange egg. In fact, I saw uh, 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 Jennifer Hall. She sent a picture from Dubai. And she said, this is what the eggs look like, exactly like in Liberia, because it's all organic. But we like yellow eggs, though. We like facts. We don't like truth. You see, you see how y'all resisted the, the truth? Orange eggs, ew, poopy. That Levi says that. But I could give you yellow eggs all day long and it's good because we can't lead or live beyond what we know. And if all we know is yellow egg yolks, we won't ever appreciate orange. And that's the purest form. Uh, I digress, I digress. <clears throat> So they're sitting by the lake. Listen, listen to this. But the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Um, point number one. God, when he invades our life, will first of all help us to process how we deal with failure. <laughs> That's one of the things we struggle with, Tony. That's one of the things we struggle with in our reasonings. Well, I went to college. Why am I stuck in this place? Well, I dated him for 12 months. How did I end up with this joker? <laughs> and if we don't learn how to put the right frame around failure, we will get stuck in that place. And let me tell you the context of what's happening here. We'll read it a little bit later, but the fishermen had toiled all night and caught nothing. Have you ever been in a situation where in your own life, professionally, you've done everything you know to do and you still come up empty? You still come up short. This is what that verse is saying. It said that they were washing their nets. Let me tell you about what the washing of nets meant. 
it meant we ain't about to go back out there. Because washing nets was a painstaking and laborious exercise. And they had to take out all the, the seaweed and they had to take out all the junk, all the trash. And again, uh, the Sea of Galilee wasn't as polluted as some of our bodies of water are today, but they would have to come, bring the nets in, and then clean it. It would take them hours to do it. How many of us find ourselves in a place sitting by the seaside, the boats of life are parked, and we find ourselves washing our nets, dealing with disappointment, wondering whether it's even worth it to go back in this boat another time. God will cause us to challenge how we process failure. The good news, though, is failure is neither fatal nor final. If you have failed before, or if it feels like you're failing now, God's got you. In fact, if you're washing your nets and it seems like everybody else is passing you by, can I give you a clue to how you turn that thing around? Let Jesus in the boat. Notice they went out fishing and caught nothing. But everything's about to change. Because Jesus has an uncanny way of showing up in the midst of our failure. He's not very far after we failed if only we would stop long enough to see. The question then becomes, will I let him in the boat? Uh, let's continue to read the story. What's the next verse, Kelly? And I'm going to take my time. I didn't start preaching until 11 o'clock. I am going to take my time. This is more important than, than NFL. This is more, y'all act like, this is more important than the NFL. Most of us will leave this place grappling with our failures to watch people who are successful, who don't even care about you and don't even know you exist. And you're in a hurry to get out of here, and you're grappling with failure. I'm going to take my time. And at any point you decide to leave, please. I'm going to take my time. Okay, thank you very much for your permission. <clears throat> Listen to what he said. Verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. Y'all see that? On your way back, from your setback, he ain't going to ask you to do a whole lot. He's just going to ask you to take just a little bit. Don't go too far. Just trust me with the first step. If you're willing to leave these nets that you've been washing for these hours, and if you'll just take one little step and let me in the boat this time, the last time you did it without me and you came up empty. But this time, if you will just let me step in the boat. I'm not even going to ask you to do more than you can do. I'm going to ask you to do what you can do. Just push out a little bit. Just push out just a little bit. Just push out just a little bit. Just get out of bed. I'm talking to somebody now. Just get out of bed. 
Yeah. Just put on that acrylic. <laughs> if you can't do acrylic, just put on your snap-on from Walgreens, girl. That'll work. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just snap it on. Press it on. If you're too tired to do your hair, go to the salon. Bonita. Just get it off of that little mannequin on your dresser. And throw it on your head and twist it just right. Y'all know how y'all do? And puff it right in the back. That's all he's asking you to do. Just get out of bed. Just get out of bed if that's all you can do. And they were washing their nets. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting you ready for your comeback. Because he's going to help you reframe the way you see your failure. First thing you do is let him back in the boat or let him in the boat. And so he put it in a boat and said, just push out just a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Think about that. Whenever God asks you to do something for him, he already has a harvest in mind. Jesus said, if you'll let me get away from these people that are pushing up on me, and I can get enough distance from them so I can teach them the truth without them mobbing me, man, I got something coming your way. When we make what's important to God important to us, he will make what's important to us important to him. There's a harvest on the way. And most of us never get to the harvest because we're not even willing to let Jesus in the boat. Jesus began to teach them from Peter's boat. This boat that was just parking, Jesus is now using to change lives. I'm going somewhere with this. It says he sat down and taught the multitudes. And the scripture says, and when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon. Y'all see that? First step is just get out the bed. First step is just push out a little bit. The next step is he's going to tell you to launch out into the deep. Now that I'm in the boat with you, let's go a little bit deeper. I ain't going to let you swing. I'll sink. I'm not going to let you drown. I got you. I've preached my word. These people have been changed. Your boat was a seed. Get ready for your harvest. He's going to change the way you process failure when you invite him into the boat. And he says to him, Peter, let down your nets. Do it one more time. The same thing you just did. And the same thing you had just done all night. Let me tell you why this is so powerful. Because not only will he cause us to rethink and reframe how we process failure, he's going to help us reframe how we process faith. What it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. And let me tell you why. Because Peter, as a fisherman, is dealing with his reasoning. Because they had toiled all night. The reason they had toiled all night is because the fish would gather at night. And it was easier to catch fish at night because it was a lot cooler in the evening. The fishermen in the Middle East fish at night. 
These guys who were professional fishermen had toiled all night and caught nothing. The best time, the time where they had the advantage. In their reasoning, the fact said, you don't go out fishing in the day, you go out fishing at night. And they followed the facts. And the facts let them down. That's what faith looks like. Because Jesus is telling them to fish at a time when they knew they could catch no fish. Talk about reasoning. He's saying, I don't, nobody catches fish this time of day. How are we going to try to catch fish now? It's a bad fishing season. We've already been out all night and caught nothing. What's his reasoning telling him? Lord, this man crazy. And that's what we do. He said, Lord, I fished all night, caught nothing. Now you're telling me to go fish during the day? You think I'm going to catch something? Let me tell you the other thing about how God helps us to process our reasoning. Who will you allow to be your teacher? Mm. That's where most of us miss what God is saying. We miss what God is saying because of our disdain for the messenger, so we miss the message. Listen to this. Peter is a professional fisherman, and now he has to bow his reasoning to a professional carpenter. Oh, y'all missed that. If you want to catch fish... Do you go and get advice from a carpenter? Y'all missed this. Somebody said preach, black man. <laughs> Glory to God. Look, just, just, just fan this, just fan that handkerchief on me. Yeah. There you go. Y'all missed that now. Y'all missed that because God may have already put your answer to a radically different and radically better life in 2017 in the mouth of someone who is the least likely candidate for you to listen to. God put Naaman's answer in the mouth of a slave girl in his house. God is speaking all the time, but we miss his message because of our disdain for the messenger. I'm a fisherman. Yeah, you a carpenter. Jesus, stay in your lane, man. This my lane. Listen to what he said. He said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. The most powerful word in that verse, nevertheless. That's when, that's when my reasoning shifts to faith. He said, Master, my reasoning. The facts are we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, if you said it, I believe it, and that settles it. He will cause us to change the way we process faith. Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Continue. Let's just read the story, and I'll let you go. Two more things, two more things, and I'm done. I'm not even going to get into it. And when they had done this, uh, go back to verse 5, please, real quick. And let's, let's see something very subtle that most of us miss. Actually, go back to verse 4. What was Jesus' instruction to Peter? He said, launch out to the deep and let down what? How many? Plural for a catch. 
Let's go to the next verse. When, but Simon Peter, Peter answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times we patronize God in, and we call it faith. The instruction wasn't to let down one net. But in his reasoning, he said, man, I ain't going to wash all these nets again. But Jesus, just in case, I'm going to let down one net. I'm going to pretend like I really trust you. I'm going to pretend like I really got faith. And instead of letting down all my nets, somebody said, preach, black man. In 2017, y'all, in 2017, the instruction is not to let down one net. He said, let down everything you got. He said, nevertheless, if you say so, you're just a carpenter. I don't want to be disrespectful. And the first time we read it, it seemed like he was a man of great faith. We're going to shift from reasoning to faith. Called him master and everything. Because we know how to talk the talk. But when it comes to walking the walk, we just give him a little bit. I'll trust you with one net, but not all my nets. I'll give you something, but I will not give you everything. And Jesus is a gentleman, you'll say, be it unto you according to your faith. If what you have in 2017 is one net faith, one net expectation, that's what you're going to get, though. That's what you're going to get. But what if you have in 2017, it's not just one net, but every net you got. Remember when you told the, 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 uh, What's it, the Shunammite woman, the prophet's wife? Uh, he had been a prophet. He died. He left her with a whole mountain of debt. The prophet said, go to your neighbors. Borrow as many vessels as you can. Borrow not a few. Borrow not a few. Because the harvest that you will receive is contingent upon. It's in direct relationship with how many vessels you bring back. If you bring 10, you'll get a 10-vessel harvest. And the scripture says, when he filled the last pot, the oil stopped. All he had was one net that he let down. No, this is helping somebody. How we process faith. Partial obedience is disobedience now. He said, let down the nets. Everything you got. Not just some of it. Everything. So what's the next verse? Uh, he said, nevertheless, I'll let down the net. Notice what happened. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking. The harvest was too much for the one net. And now you start losing stuff. The fish start, because the net breaks, the fish start going back in the water now. Now notice, notice, notice what happened. Where my handkerchief at, bro? I'm sweating. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, they caught a great number of more. Now notice what happens in the next verse, though. 
So they signal to their partners. This is net breaking harvest. They said, God's just pouring this stuff out. I can't even handle it. It's too much just for me. Come on, Tony. Come on, Stephen. Come on, Cedric. Come get yours. And just the night before, they had caught nothing. They signaled to the partners of the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that the boats began to sink. Let me tell you something, man. In 2017, you better increase your capacity. Because if you come to this fishing party, if you come to this fish fry with only one net, you're going to lose some of what God has for you. I'm telling you. Radically different, radically better. It's 1151. I'm going to let y'all go. I got to let y'all go. It's 1151. I got two more points, but I'm going to let y'all go. I'm going to let y'all go. I'll just tell you what the two points are. Number three, he will help us reframe how we process fear. I wish I had time to get into that thing about fear. I don't have time. I got to let y'all go. I got to let y'all go. Listen to what he said in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, when he saw what God had done in spite of his little faith, in spite of his disobedience, listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. He says, he says, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Conviction. 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 At his disobedience. I wish I had time to talk about fear. I don't have time to talk about fear. In fact, we prayed this morning for multiple people. And one of the prayer requests was, I feel like I've wasted so much time. Pray that God will give me another chance. That's what's happening here. How we process our fear after we've disobeyed God. After we've missed our divine moment. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. I wish I had time to talk about your comeback. After you failed. That he's not a God who desires to judge you and beat you over the head. The woman caught in adultery, the scripture says she was caught in the very act, red-handed. Red-handed. Yet Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? He said they've all gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't condone what she did either. And God is saying to someone this morning, if you find yourself in verse 8 and you're saying, God, depart from me. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinful man. And you are afraid, afraid to draw near to God because of how far gone you are. God wants you to rethink how you process your fear of God. The Bible says in 1 John, perfect love. When we understand how perfectly God loves us, it will cast out all fear about everything we've ever done. Verse 4, I mean number 4, point 4, and I'll give it to you, how we process the future. Man, I wish I had time. How we process the future. Listen, verses 9 through 11, but listen to what he says. Jesus said, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. From now on, you will catch men. There's something waiting on the other side 
of this experience on this boat. There's a, something waiting on the other side of your obedience to God in 2017, and it may look very different from what you've done up until now. I'm going to take you from being a fisherman, and I'm going to take you to becoming a fisher of men. Radically different, radically better. Radically different, radically better. I think next week I might pick up here and talk about this some more, but let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts.